Awesome. Amen. Well, guys, we have one final morning with Andy this week. So without further ado, let's give it up for the Birdman. Okay, good morning, guys. Good morning. A dart gun. Whoa. Nice, dude. I like that. It's shot with a Nerf gun. Hey, let's yell good morning at Rev and Ref. We'll just say good morning, Rev and Ref on three. Ready? One, two, three. Are they over there? <laughs> they are. Let's see if, oh, <laughs> let's see if they yell back. I don't know if they will. We're louder. We will definitely win. All right. Well, guys, it's Thursday, which means it's almost Friday, which means it's almost Saturday. <laughs> A real weekend is coming. Thank you so much for this. Um, but uh, we're going to start off today kind of like the last couple of days, but a little bit different. Um, here's where we've gone this week, just so we kind of look back, review a bit. Monday, um, we talked. We started off with a culture celebration. Anyone remember that? And uh, anybody choose to put on the cheerful heart this morning? Yeah, come on, a lot of cheerful hearts in here. And then, uh, and then we really went after the Father's love, like God is love. Kind of uh, went after this uh, message um, of adoption and uh, and kind of a little bit of our own story, but a real call to come home to the Father's love. And then uh, Tuesday, we talked about a culture of, of happy holiness. Anybody choosing happy holiness in here? Um, and the joy of holiness, joyful repentance, you know, a number of things in that category. And then uh, we went after lordship, understanding that if he really is as good as he says, we'd actually be fools not to surrender. He can be fully trusted. Our lives can be fully laid in his hands. There is no greater way to live than fully surrendered to him. And then uh, yesterday, we talked about a culture of loving the Bible. Anybody get up this morning and read the Bible a little different than before? Anybody? Yeah? Some of you guys? A couple of you? How many of you already had some time in the Word this morning? I'm just curious. Got up a little. The Hawaiian mornings are perfect for early mornings. No one sleeps in around here usually. It's hard to. It's light. It's, it's warmer. It's loud. And uh, it's a great time to just get up and get with Jesus. And then uh, we spent the rest of the morning kind of talking a little bit about our, our story as a fire and fragrance community. But more than that, maybe a bigger picture of what God's doing in a generation. And what happens when we get, you know, totally immersed in the Father's love, begin to lay down our lives in wholehearted surrender, that he begins to grip us with the passion, the cause, you know, the things that are on his heart. And we ended last yesterday, it was so awesome hearing from you guys as to kind of what was gripping you, what's on your heart, what God's already put there, what you're believing for, dreaming about, which was so fun to hear about. So our last morning, this morning, we're doing a number of things, but what I'd like to start off with is any questions in regards to these last three days we've had together? Any questions on a topic we spent time on or something we talked about or something that's stirring in your heart kind of related to where we've been the last three days? We'll start with, with questions and we'll pass the mic around if you guys want to. Any, uh, do I have a mic runner? Um, choosing cheerfulness is such a great message, and I love it. But I just wanted to know what, how you how you think that things like depression, like on a spiritual level, but also on a biological level, how that fits in with that. Yeah, great question. Killing it. 
such a dynamic crew. It was such a block with many people to do something like that. And uh, and I think, you know, the question for me is really just balance, right? Not just straight values, not just uh, hey, get over it, you know, you're struggling a little bit. And uh, you can't just, you know, slap a bunch of Christian League stickers on people and be like, hey, this stuff needs to be uploaded tomorrow. That's not, that's not real. It doesn't, it doesn't really reflect what the issue is. And so I think we have to ask the question in a way that says, hey, you know, depression might be dying a little bit deeper today. Well, what's the real root issue? And if the root issue is not there, then let's go back to the root and maybe what we are struggling with and let go of right now and actually receive breakthrough in that, right? So there's a whole category of depression that is in the realm of I just refuse to forgive the person that hurt me. Or I refuse to let go of the circumstance that was out of my control. And those, that's a category of depression that just is immediately solvable, right? That's not the whole, the whole thing, but that is a category. And I would say in my lunar experience, saying, well, what have you done for me in the last 20 years? That's a big category. And so I'm missing this percentage out. But that's the reflection of what's going on for depression, is that it's not that you're struggling with some heavy stuff, it's actually resolvable. And we need it, right? What we're really trying to do is turn this over to the Christians and then on, on forgiveness, they're forgiving God for some circumstances that went on in life, they're forgiving others for something they've done in their life. And that can be solved in a single in that moment. It doesn't mean that the process has to be totally valid, but that's a predicate for making the choices we're making in our life, right? So in that category, I would say if the Christian is saying, hey, where's the total root? Here's the answer, knocking at the door. Right? It's just knocking at the door. Now, can you put on Christian without doing the thing that's in your heart? Maybe temporarily, but not long-term. Right? You might be able to act a certain way over time, like bitterness towards someone for no time. Or a, a sort of moment where, you know, for some days. But if there are undealt with roots in our life, then we will never be able to have consistent joy and fruitfulness because God is just like, I am ready to dump this whole root here. I'm not holding back Because you can be only living in the land of Olive Tree and Easter, and you're going to spend it by the entire 
right? And yet he was brave to forgive. He went to the lesser forgiver. He went to waiting for us to go ask for it. He wasn't waiting for us to demand it. No, he had to reach it. He ran to forgive on the cross, right? What if we could live like that? That forgiveness comes from loving. Forgiveness comes from waiting for someone to, you know, do the impossible in some way. Right? Tim and I weren't waiting for David to get shot in his car yet. But we could go to the full ice rink and say, sorry, are you going to forgive me? That's okay. We'll move on. Right? So don't let anyone else have so much control in your life that they rob you because they want to fight. Right? My, my dad may have done this. My mom may have done that. My sister may have done that. My best friend may have done that. My friend's boyfriend may have done that. But am I going to give them more control in my life than my ability My name's Taflia. I'm from Australia, the land down under, um, a country I fully believe will bow to King Jesus as a nation in my yeah. lifetime, for sure. Um, I would actually like to answer Ella's question, if that's all right. Yeah, a superpower. A superpower. 
I, mean, I thought about this quite a bit because I thought that might be coming and uh, I have such a shocking memory and for me it would be a superpower to be able to remember everything because wow. life is so dang beautiful and I don't wow. want to miss a thing. That's a Yes, so there's also something on my heart to share within the moment of sharing but I really felt compelled to answer Ella's question because um, for the past year I worked on a psychiatric unit in a hospital and I had the authority to do so because I was one of them and I was diagnosed with bipolar affective disorder and clinical depression since I was 14 and was battling with that until Jesus saved me about four months ago. Wow. Um, so this has been, yeah, 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 cool. Oh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, thanks, thanks. Um, but, uh, wow, bless you, family. Um, I wanna tell you, sister, it's not a story of a miraculous healing, though I do believe God can do that. I had scans done on my brain when I was a teenager and there were neurons that weren't firing correctly. There was a bridge that was broken and so when someone told me a joke, I, instead of laughing, I would cry. There was something that wasn't right. So I believe wholeheartedly God can mend those bridges, but this isn't my testimony. So it's one where God has shown me the story of relentless love. And so when I went through my manic phases or my depressed phases where I couldn't, I was completely backed into a corner and there was no option. There was, there was only one option out was death. Um, and I call those the storms. And for me, I feel like my, for the rest of my life, the storm will come. And for the past 26 years, I've been caught up in the storm when it comes. And I'm completely blown around and the lightning is hitting me and I feel like I'm going to die. But what Jesus has done is he provided me refuge from the storm so that when it comes, I'm hidden safe inside of him. And I watch that dark cloud passing and I watch the rain and I watch the thunder and it doesn't touch me anymore. And in the safety of Jesus, then I can do the work. Then I can work on forgiveness. And that's only coming with the safety of Christ. Bef I couldn't, it wasn't a miraculous healing, like, and I believe that's possible, but it, there's a lot of work. But God, God's given me the place to do the work from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Can I, just so I don't um, repeat myself, can I make a quick comment on one of the teachings? Because I know that's what we're leading on to. So um, something from Monday that has just been touching me all week that was really potent was your... Um, you're teaching about sonship and daughtership, being adopted into the king of the universe's family. And I guess in these past four months, the journey of Christianity has been this quite overwhelming and sometimes gentle integration from what I know intellectually to this heartfelt understanding, this full DNA-infused um, knowledge of what God is doing in my life. And um, when you were saying about the testimony, like, Testimonies are so powerful and it just proves how God wants us to be so relational because there's only things we can understand through the other. Like off the shoulder of your testimony, I catapult myself into revelation. So thank you so much for sharing the story of your adoption um, of your daughter. But um, so I understood when I was born again that there was a father and uh, I had a dad and, and he loved me. Um, it was a very intellectual understanding. And I know lots of us have grown up um, with the father as just being a word without that full relational dad experience. And for myself, uh, my father has autism, so as long as I was self-aware, I knew that I had a son, but I never had a father, uh, and I really, really did long for that. I didn't know what it would feel like, and then on Monday, when we were kind of, everything was going off tap here in the tent, praise the Lord, um, for the first time, just slipped from my lips, just as easy as anything, the word dad, oh, dad, like, <laughs> even so far as to say daddy, which kind of freaked me out, because I'm like, oh, that's a bit too precious, but I was like, wow, daddy, and now just life can be so overwhelming, and chaotic at times but it's like through the storm of life or through the chaos or the 
the busy street of life, I just close my eyes, I reach up my hand, and my dad takes my hand, and I walk across the road with him. And that's been happening. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I think like Romans 8.15 or something, like the, the gospel is alive in me. Abba, Father, I get it. I get it. I really feel it. Um, and every morning I wake up and dad's arms are wrapped around me. And I, and I wake up and I say, hi, dad. Hey, dad. Um, and this morning in between um, sleep and waking, that's kind of when God has been talking to me most. That little like parenthesis in eternity, that little dream space. Um, and he dropped something in my mind about you, and uh, I hope I can share it. So it's nothing like prophetic that'll be like uh, controversial. But um, so this morning, uh, I woke up and I said hi, Dad, and he put into my mind. It's almost a bit too cliche. I didn't want to say, but he put into my mind the image uh, of a ripple. And so God's finger went down into the water, and he made these ripples coming out. And it was touching me yesterday. But you were talking about how you dreamed of us, how you prophesied us being here. But after God's finger, what I saw was that you and your body of believers, your, your family, um, were the second ripple. And we were the third ones coming out. And what I wanted, the reason I'm saying is that is that we're going to touch and transform tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of lives from this tent. But not only from this tent, it came from you. And you might never know the people whose lives you transform, the souls you save. But I promise you, and God told me to tell you that one day in heaven, you're going to look back and you're going to see the multitudes of souls coming after you. So thank you so much, brother. Thank you. Thank you. I don't actually have a question, but when she was, like, sharing about thinking of you this morning, I actually have been talking to some people, and I woke up at 3 in the morning, with, and I felt like the Lord was telling me to, like, pray for you, and I don't know why, but, um, yeah, so that was just, like, a confirmation, and I didn't know. I started praying, and I started praying for the sand and for um, all the work that's going to be done, and I know you're going to leave us, like, today to go and, like, start doing work, so... I don't know, I feel like we could all pray for you and just um, bless your life and just bless um, what's going to happen in Florida. And, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, let's do that community conference. Yeah. I thought you were crazy until maybe God said that it's going to be about two to three weeks of trust. And so, yeah, I would so appreciate that. I'd be so grateful for that. Thanks for being part of it. Yeah. Maybe you won't end up in a hole. <laughs> Don't get there. It's good. <laughs> Don't get into that. <laughs> awesome. Let's do a couple more questions. Hi, my name is Jackie. Yeah. And I'm from New Jersey. Okay. Um, awesome. <laughs> awesome. Take your power. Um, maybe be a mermaid. 
because I can't swim very well. Um, but I studied a lot of marine animals. Yeah, here it's wavy. Uh, my question is, how do you tell the difference between God putting you into the wilderness and the devil working against you?
Hey, my name is Maranatha, and hi, my superpower would be like instant results and in something that I want, like um, like if I want to make a cake, I can just think about it and a cake's made or something like that. Um, I'm, I actually just moved from Kansas City, Missouri, but I'm from Denver, and uh, so... I'm not sure if I actually know how, how to articulate this question. I was trying to formulate it as I was sitting there. Um, but you were talking about greasy grace, and that's something that I have had, I think, a healthy fear of. Um, I think IHOP talks a lot about not wanting to fall into that and um, having having a Christian life that isn't... Um, 
only like receiving salvation but not having something to show for it in the in the sense of like my character and um and living a life of obedience and um one of the verses that kind of freaks me out is the verse that says that many will say lord lord in that day and they'll say did i not do you know i can't remember the exact examples but like raise the dead and prophesy in your name and that kind of thing. And then the Lord says, I never knew you. And so a question that I've asked many times, and I'm curious to hear your answer is, how do you live in the tension of um, having the fear of the Lord? And um, that verse that talks about working out your salvation in fear and trembling, but yet in the same hand, not living in a place of a unhealthy fear or inability to relate to God as father and also um, walking by faith and saying okay Jesus's blood atoned for my sins and um, by his stripes I was healed and like I don't know just having that not really a balance but that um almost paradox of like I receive by faith but then I live by faith and I don't my works don't justify me but um they're proof of my faith and I don't know all that Thank you. 
leading by. There is the grace of justification, which is that it is God's work that we are looking for. What did I do? I believe. Right? Romans chapter 5. Justified by faith. All I did was believe, and boom, in that moment, if I have faith for it, then I am regenerated, I am a new creation, and what ought I to do the rest of my life in my justification? Rest. Rest. When we lie sick and die, we enjoy life for a moment. What do I say? Embrace. Why? Because I have faith. And what happens? I am justified. Who is justified? Verse 23, right? So, resting in your justification. Now, that is a revolutionary concept for so many believers that are still living in fear and questioning, am I really saved? But to actually enter into the rest of salvation is the, is the promise of God. And it is, the, it is the grace of God to bring us into that. But then where many fall short or get confused is that we don't go, well, I'm resting in my salvation, I'm resting in my justification. What's the big deal about the holiness stuff and the stuff and the character? Can't we just rest in our salvation? Can't we just rest in our justification? And instead, not realizing that we were meant to actually strive in our sanctification to become more like Christ. Paul says, I have not obtained yet what I set my eyes on. I am not where I want to be yet, but I strive to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus died to give me. Because I am striving for it. I am pressing. Why? Because there's a real enemy that wants a whole bunch of complacent Christians on the earth. You have to know, the enemy in this room is not trying to get us to, like, tomorrow convert to Hinduism. That's not his goal. He's much smarter than that. His goal in this room is to get us to stick around and be normal, complacent, mediocre Christians. That's his goal. He's not, he's not coming at us going like, you know, hey, brother, that guy is too annoying down there. Freaking know him. That's what maybe you really see. You know what I mean? That's not his intent on us. He's not coming at us trying to get us to renounce Christianity. He's trying to get us to stick around and live lukewarm lives. That's what he wants. Right? So, so much of that is wrapped up in understanding the grace of God for salvation and then the grace of God, which is faith, to actually strive in our sanctification. So I am resting in my regeneration, my salvation, but I am working joyfully in the grace of God to become more and more like Him. And He is empowering me by grace to say no to sin, to run after righteousness, to say no to gossip, to say no to slander, to say no to criticism, and to run after righteousness. And by His grace, I can do it. But let me wrap it up with this. You can't do what only God can do, and you won't do what only we can do. I'll say it again. You, you can't do what only God can do because of regenerating work of salvation. You can't do that. Only He can do that. But you won't do what only we can do, which is choose righteousness, choose holiness, choose godly character, choose integrity. So in my mind, these two things are not in tension. They all have to do with our view of the nature and soul of Jesus. And that He is both great and good at the same time. He is both majestic and awe-inspiring about the Lord's Prayer. It's not one piece of prayer. It's a prayer that our Father is the very best. Our God is the only one that that statement can be said about. He is our Father, which means He is sympathetic, compassionate, near, filled with love, able to hear. He is near us in our weakness and immaturity, but He is in heaven, meaning He is able to intervene. He has a mighty right arm. He knows how to break through and cut the iron on His will, right? I am a Father, but I am not in heaven. I am limited to empathy, compassion, and abandonment. 
day to my children, right? Only God is sovereignly and heavenly, and he's perfectly sovereignly and perfectly heavenly. Therefore, we can love him and fear him at the same time. We can be near to him and in awe of him at the same time. We can whisper and hears us, and yet he is awe-inspiring and wildly, you know, transcendent and beyond us at the same time. We can go, I love you, and you're holy at the same time because he's perfectly sovereign and perfectly heavenly. And only God, only the one true God is perfectly fatherly and perfectly heavenly. No other religion can even make that claim that their God is fatherly and heavenly. Does that help with that at all?
to the cross to see us as we long for him to see us. And then we have thoughts and thought about God as, as to whether we are grateful or not. Are we grateful or not? Even that thing is true, but am I not grateful? Right? Am I trespassing or am I not trespassing? And the spiritual and the spirit the spiritual law of truth, theism, and a telling thing can't be. It's not as much that we break the law, it's that the law breaks us. So even though I'm breaking the law of forgiveness, no, in reality, the law is going to break me until I forgive. Right? So am I, by not forgiving someone, am I saying, like, well, you just chose not to break, you chose to break that law. No, no, no. That law will lead you around the mountain again and 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 again until you forgive. And that's what we're talking about here. Is that you can break the law, but in reality, the law will break you, right? It's like, think about our past lives. You know my past life. If I choose to break, if I choose to break my marriage right now, I am in a covenant before God to marry someone who is a sacred thing in my life. Now, if I start messing around with other women, at best I have broken the marriage covenant, but what else is happening? The marriage covenant will break me. And will I?
10 23 we got about a, an hour or so before lunch can you guys can you guys hang you doing okay okay turn the person next to you and just tell them jesus is awesome he's really awesome he's really really awesome tell him i love him i love him he loves me I'm so glad you guys are here. We're going to have so much fun in these months ahead of us. It's going to be insane. It should be an illegal amount of fun that we're going to have. Totally illegal. Absolutely an illegal amount of fun. This is like, this is the, we're in the first week, guys. You can't imagine how good this thing's going to get as the weeks go on. It's going to be incredible. But um, here's what I want to say real quick, and then I'll jump into where we're going. Instead of spending much time on a culture today, all, all I want to do is I, I just want to give you a tiny bit of vision, and really I've already said it the last four days, so I just want to summarize it, is one of the greatest things that will possibly happen to you in this season is that you'll learn to have a secret place relationship with Jesus. It, it really is. Like, we're going to have great class times. You're going to have great worship times. Today's your first prayer set, prayer set. There's so much fire. We love intercession here, and uh, we love worship. And uh, you're going to build tremendous community, and that is God. Your roommates are going to become some of your closest friends as you, uh, you know, walk together. Your teams are going to become like mini families. It's going to be so much fun. But even more powerful than almost any of that will be that in this season, you're able to really go after what it looks like to have a secret place relationship with God. And I want to encourage you, we don't start our mornings here till is it is 8 o'clock when you do your first thing, Bible morning, all that kind of stuff. So 8 o'clock. And like I said, Hawaii is an early morning culture. Um, it, it gets noisy here early. You guys are already seeing it. The sun's up. It's nice. Like, you just want to be out. 
And I want to encourage you to begin to build the discipline right now of going deep in the secret place. And you may that may be totally something you've been run, running in for years and just keep going. Great place to meet with God is in Hawaii. Or it might be that's brand new for you. And I, like I said a couple times when I came into DTS, it was so new for me, I couldn't pray for two minutes without getting distracted by a gecko or a wave. And I had no idea how to read the Bible, as I said before. And, by, and I had never come close to reading through the scriptures, the whole of the Bible, by the time I came into DTS. That was not something I even thought about or even had vision for. But my, and like I said, I was a little socially awkward in DTS and uh, had strange roommates. So it was the combination of that that was the perfect storm that I did have friends and I kind of became friends with my now wife. But she would have definitely put me in like tiny little brother land. Yeah, like kind of like bless his heart land. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's real, guys. Yeah, you can feel bad for me. I feel bad for me, too. And, uh, and I thought, my gosh, this is the greatest woman I've ever been around in my entire life. We went on an outreach together. I was even more in awe. And the thing that most marked me is that, like, I, she was like, she doesn't even know. She doesn't know how to complain. She doesn't complain. She just seems stoked on life. And, like, the harder it becomes, she just seems to, like, thrive more. And I just thought, this is the greatest woman on earth. But I was smart enough to know, like, um, she's so far out of my league like, uh, I, I may, like, really like her, but I'm smart. So, uh, you know, there was nothing there, absolutely. And I was definitely in little brother, tiny friend zone, like, li- little in the corner down there. Like, he's so cute. Look at him trying to go after God there, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so, you know, I had friends, and we built a fun friendship on outreach. And then, you know, we co-led two outreaches together, and then I proposed at the end of the second outreach. So some miracles happened along the way. But, uh but I, th- that perfect storm of my DTS was exactly what I needed and uh, because it taught me how to have a secret place relationship with God. And I, I found him the, in a way I didn't even know was possible. No one had ever taught me the value of setting aside 45 minutes, an hour, you know, whatever you, whatever, whatever. I don't want to put, the Bible doesn't give us a time. It's just, it's a heart overflow. But it's like any relationship. Now I have the privilege of being married. It's like, being with my wife in groups never replaces being with my wife alone. And being with my wife alone never takes the place of being with my wife in the midst of our family or in other groups. It's both and. It's not a balanced theology. It's both and. It's a fullness theology. And so I want to encourage you to take advantage of your mornings here. Like, you know, head, head out into the 62 acres here. There are wild pigs out there, but they mostly will run from you. Or, you know, find, a, find your little spot on the campus somewhere. You, you might walk down to the coast. Like, find your place. I had my place. And I can, st- I can see it right now that I found in my DTS. And I would just march out there with my Bible. And I just learned to spend time with God, to linger in his presence. And I, I probably would read my Bible 10, 15 minutes or something like that. Eventually, I didn't have the privilege of something like a reading plan that you're going through right now together. And then I would just try and pray. And it was rough and ugly and raw. And, you know, I didn't know how to do it. But I was just trying to relate to my father. What do you really like? And I would just ask him questions. And I would write down what I felt like he said. And it was very awesome. It was very childlike, and I hope I never graduate from that. I hope I never over-sophisticate Christianity. It's the sponge painting you never have to graduate from. It's the kindergarten you never have to leave. And it's not kindergarten because it's basic. It's kindergarten because it's full of joy and bliss. And so I, my, one of my greatest encouragements with you to in this season would be to carve out space and time to be alone with God on a daily basis. And if you will make it a part of your life in this season, then whatever you go on to next, hopefully you never depart 
from a life in the secret place, and it just grows and grows and grows. The word, prayer, gratitude, worship, intercession, waiting on him, asking him questions, and just start wherever you're ready to start. You're like, never done it before. Man, get 30 minutes with Jesus. Start enjoying him. Pretty soon you'll get so addicted to him, you'll be like, dang it, I need more time. And you'll start getting up a little bit earlier because you're like, this is the greatest part of my day. This is all I want to do, right? And so I want to encourage you, every one of you, start to set aside time. Find your place to meet with God. And I don't recommend it being on your bed laying down. That, that's like really tempting to just close your eyes and rest in the Lord. A ask for a dream. God, I just need you to speak to me while in a dream right now. And he might. He's so gracious and kind and full of love. But he, he, he really loves it when we interact with him and talk with him and spend time with him. So go for it. Take advantage of this. You're not going to have a lot of seasons in your life like this where really that's the primary expectation. And, the, and all of life in these six months is centered around growing in our relationship with Jesus and learning to love others and see the gospel spread. That's really our only goal. And, of course, that should be the goal for the rest of life. But I just mean where the majority of even your time, your, your 8 to 5, is devoted to those things is pretty remarkable. A DTS lecture phase, this training phase, these three months, is equivalent to seven years of church life. So in the hours of teaching, hours of fellowship, hours of prayer, and hours of worship, it's equivalent to seven years of normal, you know, rhythm of going to church in three months. So you're in a greenhouse and what happens in a greenhouse is rapid growth. So you can expect epic, rapid growth and fruitfulness in this season. Amen? Woo! Let's go for it. Okay, here we go. I'm going to pick up where we're going to go from here. I just thought, man, there's so many things I'd love to teach. There's so many things I'd love to go after in the Bible. But I feel like coming off the heels of yesterday that it's important that we continue the storyline. And so I'm going to lead us a little bit into some of where we're at that leads to today. I want to talk a little bit about the send. I want to talk a little bit about One Nation, One Day, Peru, which is going to be a historic gathering and what God's going to do. I'm going to show a couple videos that just kind of highlight some of this stuff. But I want to just further bring us into the story. And we'll kind of close off our first week together. You'll have Friday with, I don't know who it is. Is it Lauren or Dar or somebody? think so? Yeah, and Lauren is tonight, which will be so fun in our corporate meeting. But uh, here's what I want to talk, here's what I want to pick up the story. Where I left off yesterday was, uh, was the, uh, kind of the Amsterdam moment. The, the, we launched the school a few months later called Fire and Fragrance. I remember going to, they said, you need to launch school. That was kind of what they told me when I came here. I was like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what to call it. And they were like, uh, well, you got to name it something. You know, you can't just do a, a, a school. Like, you got to name it something. And I went to God and was like, what do we name it? And he's like, I already told you. And it was this little prayer from that roof in Amsterdam. And I was like, no, God, that's terrible. Only ladies will come. Like, if you put fragrance in the title, we're only going to get women. And I knew intuitively when I said it, I, when, when, when I went, went for it, that I knew intuitively that people would mix it up their, our whole lives. And they totally do. People would be like, hey, you started that fire and perfume thing, didn't you? And I, I don't even argue. I'm like, yeah, totally, I did. Yep, sure did. A lot of perfume out there. And, uh, I, and so there was nothing marketable about it. There was nothing like, oh, that's market savvy. There was none of that. It was like God, I, the Lord going, I am prophesying over a generation, and I, and I need you to declare it, right? And so we named that School of Fire and Fragrance. We started our first one in January 2009. So here we are uh, 10 years later, 2019. <laughs> Ten years ago, ten years ago, right now, we were running our first school with 20 students in it. And here you are today, 200 students. 
10 years later, 10 times growth. I haven't thought about that at all. Go God. Man, that's incredible. 10 years later, there are 10 times the students that were in that first school. That's pretty fun. And so we launched that in January 2009. We started going after God, doing everything we could, the best to obey the word. God would raise up a generation who would linger in prayer and love the place of intercession and never give up till the lost are reached, right? Those were our things, missions and prayer married together, which is, you know, second commandment and first commandment walked out. It's not a new idea. It's been around forever. And so we began to walk that out. Well, in 2010 marked another major significant moment in our storyline. And don't be creeped out by this or think it's strange because this is biblical as well. But Amy, who you're going to meet, has had many encounters in her life, very profound. I would say of anyone I've ever known that she walks in what the Bible would call the office of prophet. Like she's, it's not just that she prophesies, the Lord speaks to her on behalf of movements. She's one of the main prophetic voices to the whole YWAM movement right now. But she had an angelic visitation in the physical, not just like I think there's an angel, in the physical. And again, this is biblical. This is there's so many times in the Bible where angelic messengers come. And now you may look at that and go, that's awesome. No, that's scary. And usually when angels show up, it's because you have heart, your heart of hearing. And so I looked at this and went, man, clearly I am hard of hearing, and God had to send Amy an angel. And so in this angelic encounter, and we don't make a big deal out of that. I don't say that publicly because for certain people with certain streams, they may not understand that or it may feel spooky. But obviously there's so many biblical accounts of messengers from heaven bringing a message from God. So in this encounter, this messenger says a bunch of stuff, but there's a primary line that sticks out that, that, that really we began to run with, and it was this. The messenger said, the Lord is raising up fiery-eyed revivalists, and they will crisscross the nation unto the nations of the earth, and they will carry a message of revolution that will lead to reformation, and they will be likened to the circuit riders of old. And there was this sentence that Amy came to me the next day, and she's like, I had an angelic encounter, and I'm like, I don't even know what to do with that. And then she tells me the sentence, and I'm like, I double don't know what to do with that. And we just began to pray together, 2010, what did you mean by this, Lord? And I did the only thing I knew to do. I went to the scriptures to try and understand some of these key words, and I went to history to try and understand why would God say circuit riders. Because the circuit riders I knew a little bit about was a Methodist movement started by John Wesley in the 1700s in England that then spread to America through a man named Francis Asbury in the late 1700s, early 1800s, and as I read, found out, became the fastest growing movement of Christianity on the whole earth. And they were highly evangelistic, deep love for the gospel, for the word of God. It was a discipleship movement based on guys who would ride horses anywhere so that one person might hear the good news of Jesus. They were famous for their sacrificial lives. They were famous for their belief in the simple gospel because some of them couldn't read, didn't even have educations, and they would memorize portions of the Bible. They would preach what they memorized that someone would teach them, and they had simple gospel messages, but everywhere they went, the lost were saved. Power of God would break out, and thousands, hundreds of thousands, eventually millions came into the kingdom through this selfless band of radical believers called circuit riders. Many of them died. Many of them died of sickness. They say up to 50% of them, by the time they were 33 years old, had died on the trail because of 
animal attacks, because of being attacked by people, because of sickness, because of their health breaking down. They were so sacrificial, but they essentially saw a major explosion of the kingdom across the earth in the 1800s. It was remarkable, late 1700s, 1800s. So I read that and went, oh my gosh, like there's something in this God is doing around the simple gospel, a missions call back to the church faith in the power of God, and could it be that he wants to do it again? Fiery-eyed revivalists, this made so much sense with our word about fire and fragrance and a generation that would burn for God. And so now, now we have this word, and we begin to run towards it in that year of 2010. It was also the first year that a man named Mike Bickle and a man named Lou Engel came here to Kona for the first time. Lou started a ministry called The Call. How many of you are, have never heard of Lou Engel? I'm just curious. Raise your hand if you've never heard of Lou, so I know how much. Okay, so Lou was a lead. You've never, never heard of Lou. Raise your hand again. I'm not sure everyone said that. Okay, interesting. So Lou in 2000 put 400,000 young people on the mall in Washington, D.C. to pray for revival in America and for the ending of abortion. In the year 2000, 400,000 young people gathered for 12 hours of fasting and prayer, no food, just to pray for revival in America and that the mercy and the justice of God would break in in our nation. And from there, the call for the last 18 years has held stadium gatherings all across America and internationally, calling young people into revival. Now, many of my generation, mid-30s, you know, people into their early 40s that are leading right now that you might be familiar with, like Banning Liebscher with Jesus Culture, or some of the guys in Bethel that are leading, some of the leaders, that, lots of movies, I can go on and on, were marked by the call. They were marked by Lou Engel and the call, calling us into radical fasting and prayer, revival in America, revival in the nations. They did calls all over the world. And really, Lou was responsible in his obedience for seeing a massive youth awakening. I would say from 2000 to like 2015, the, one of the main vehicles of spiritual awakening for youth in America was the call. And Mike Bickle, how many of you are not familiar with Mike Bickle? I'm just curious. Or the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. Okay, so Mike is the director and started the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. It started in 99. Lou does the first call in Washington, D.C. in 2000. Mike and IHOP go 24-7. If you're not familiar with IHOP, since 1999, which is 20 years this year, they have been worshiping 24-7 without the music ever stopping. So live bands, live worship teams, day and night, without stopping for 20 years. They've not taken a day off. They've not taken an hour off. The music has not stopped for an hour. In 20 years of day and night worship and prayer for revival in the nations, a missions move in the nations, God's justice being released on the earth, all kinds of amazing stuff. For 20 years, that prayer furnace has never stopped. They would have a staff of somewhere between 800 and 1,000 young people, primarily our age, that devoted to eight hours a day of worship and prayer, and they're going sometimes six hours a day, sometimes eight, but they're cycling through the day for the last 20 years. That prayer furnace has not gone out, and it's still going today right now. So these two leaders came to Kona in 2010, around the same time that Amy had this encounter, 
And the Lord began to speak to us about a massive movement of young people that was coming, again, that would be marrying this worship, prayer, intercession, intimacy to evangelism, miracles, signs, wonders, and a missions call to the nations. That becomes a significant moment. I remember that night, Lou's preached on a Thursday night like Lauren will tonight. And he started talking about the Moravians in history, which I don't have time to go into. And that they, in, in the history, the Moravians saw prayer and missions come together and they touched the whole... The touched the earth through it. And he began to preach about that and declare that another day was coming where a generation would rise up with that same fire in their hearts, right? So it became a significant night, and the Lord spoke to me that night that there was an army, a Gideon-sized army that was coming that would catalyze this. I remember being on my face in the front row of the Ohana court, and the Lord goes, they're coming. And I go, who's coming? And he goes, Gideon's army's coming. And I knew Gideon's army. I knew the story. Many of you know the story. 300 take on a massive army, and because of God, they get a massive victory. 300. A year later, this, uh, in the, 2011, we don't know what to do with the circuit rider word. No idea what to do. We team up with an amazing couple named Brian and Christy Brandt. Brian will teach in your school. And the Lord says, run a school. And we're like, what's the school? And we, we get like random details. It's five weeks long. It's not a DTS. Just run it. Do do two-week outreach at the end. What do we call it? School of the Circuit Riders. We're like, nobody's even know what that means. That's the dumbest name ever. Couldn't find a logo to save our lives. It's like some depressed horse, depressed guy from an old Circuit Rider painting. It looked terrible. And we're like, no one will come. There's just no way anyone's going to come. Throw up a terrible website. Interesting video. It's a little wild. You should watch it. It's pretty fun, actually. And, uh, and, and a couple months later, 300 students show up in Kona in the Ohana court, and they don't even know how they came. They, they're like, what are we doing here? And we're like, we don't know. And we would get phone calls before they came, and they're like, hey, what's this school about? We're like, not sure. They're like, what are we going to learn about? We're like, God, Jesus, Holy Ghost, <laughs> right? And, and they're like, well, what, what, what's that? I mean, what's the vision? We're like, revival? You know, it was that bad. And literally, I had a phone call. Someone goes, are we going to learn to ride horses? They literally asked that, and I was like, I don't know, maybe. We don't have any horses, but you never know. We really don't know where this is going, right? Simple obedience. You're just taking the next step. That's really it. You're just taking the next step. Well, that summer, God meets with us in a profound way, and that 300 got touched by faith for the nations in a way that I would say before that in all my years, I'd never been touched by that level of faith that God could move in the nations of the earth. Now, we happen to be in America here in Hawaii, so of course we were contending for America, but it was about the globe. It was about a great awakening in Europe. It was about a great awakening in the nations of the earth. And we walked out of that, and we sent 300 to Orange County, California, with one question, is the harvest ripe in America? Because everyone's saying it's not, except for God. He was saying it was. So what do you do when everyone else is saying, no, America's turning its back on God. University students want nothing to do with God. High schools don't want nothing to do with God. But what do you do when God says, they actually all want me, they just don't know it yet, but you got to tell them. And so we went to Orange County with one question, is the harvest ripe in America? We sent 300 on the streets of Orange County. It was wild. And it was insane what God did. It was signs and wonders. And I don't just mean like an arm grew out signs and wonders. I mean they were signs of the ripeness of the harvest. One of the young guys got on a bus to meet us in, down at the Huntington Beach Pier. And while he was on the bus, he had a thought to himself that nobody can get off the bus right now. And he thought, I got at least five minutes right now. Walks up while the bus is driving to the bus driver and says, can I share something with everyone on the bus? Now, I don't know if you could do that today, but this was in 2011. And, uh, and, and the bus driver's so caught off guard that he's like, yeah, go for it. Stands up while the bus is driving, shares his testimony with everyone on the bus. Gives an altar call on the bus. And the whole back row raises their hand and says, we want to give our lives to Jesus on the bus. 
on the bus. Goes to the back of the bus. It's a bunch of skater kids. They're like high schoolers. Leads them to Jesus. They literally got on the bus lost and got off the bus saved. Like minutes later, right? We had another guy went on the Huntington Pier where we'd often meet, and then we'd spread out and go share the gospel. He went out to the end where they're all fishing, and he walked up to an older man, and he goes, hey, can I pray for you? Just simple question. The old guy just makes fun of him, mocks him. And he's real sarcastic. And he goes, yeah, whatever. He goes, why don't you pray for me? I catch a fish. He goes, I'm the only one out here who hasn't caught a fish. And the guy's like, all right. Lays his hand on his shoulder. And he goes, in the name of Jesus, I just asked this guy to catch a fish. As soon as he says the word fish, his rod goes, no, wild. Guy reels it up. Biggest fish that anyone's caught of the day. So stunned, he turns to the young guy and goes, I don't know what you are about. I don't know any of this. But if your God's real, I want to give my life to him. Gets saved on the spot. Gives his life to Jesus. Blowout. So many stories like this. Going to university campuses, them getting turned into the fountains out front. All the next thing you know, guys are getting baptized in them. We had a whole crew get kicked out of a mall because they were baptizing kids in the mall fountain who had just given their lives to Jesus. Uh, Just wildness broke out. And from there, we began to run these circuit rider trainings, these little two-week schools, one-week schools, to simply instill faith in people that the gospel is real, it's powerful, and then we would go out and share the gospel all over the streets. And everywhere we would go, crazy things would occur that were signs of the ripeness of the harvest. It was wild. We sent out a team in uh, uh, Santa Monica Boulevard, right in the heart of L.A., rough area of town, right? Certainly, the church would say, too hard, too dark. Many of us would. Hard place. We trained at a little house of prayer right at, right in that area. And then we said, hey, everyone just go out and share the gospel. And it, there were high schoolers there. So a guy was like 16, 17 years old. He walks out on the street, and he's like, you know when you're like, full of boldness, and you're like, I better do this quick before I lose my boldness. Have you ever been there? You're like, I better do this right now because I'm about to lose this. So he just walks up. The first guy he can find just like beelines it for him. And he's like, hey, do you know God? That's it. Like, do you know God? <laughs> right? Great intro line. We're also worried about the intro line. He's just like, do you know God? And the guy goes, I am believing God. He goes, I'm an atheist. And the young guy's like, dang. And then he feels like the Lord gives him this little idea that the guy has back pain. So he goes, hey, this is going to sound crazy. He goes, but uh, uh, do you have back pain? And, and the guy immediately looks at him and goes, how the heck do you know that? And he's, he's swearing. He's just ex- expletives, right? He would already sworn about Jesus. He just, he's just swearing. And he goes, well, um, I'm going to pray for you right now and show you that my God is real. And, uh, and the guy goes, whatever. And he starts praying for him. And the dude starts yelling and dropping F-bombs, like just swearing. And you, you, he's just swearing, right? And he goes, what is this? What is this? He goes, my whole back is on fire. What is this? Gets healed on the spot, gives his life to Jesus on the spot, this young guy. And you got to know, when you're, when you're like using, you know, when you're using expletives when referring to Jesus, you don't fake miracles. You're not like, I think it grew out, right? <laughs> right? The dude's swearing, and then the heat, the fire of God hits his back, gets healed, gets saved on the spot. We were doing these things all over different places. Then we were on our way to England, I remember. Where's our Brits in the room? And man, isn't it wild? Isn't it? Un- unbelief is a crazy deal. Because we would have all these stories, testimonies, and people told us, they go, hey, you're going to England now. Don't expect to see what you saw in America. Don't expect to see that. We go, England's harder ground. And I'm like, so strange. Same God. A human's a human. And, and you're just telling me that just to not expect that that same God will move on same humans because I've geographically shifted locations, right? 
And so we just went there going, I don't know, let's just keep listening to God. He said the harvest is ripe. He seems right. And we go to England, and it's so wild. The first bit, you know, it, um, we're, we, we're probably half from different nations all over the world and half from England itself. And uh, we had this wild moment the first night where we were teaching on King uh, Jehoash, I think it is, where Elijah comes to him and says, strike the ground with the arrows, right, for victory. And he says the king strikes the ground three times. You remember the story? And Elijah goes, you should have struck the ground like five or six times. Like there was apathy in his obedience. He goes, because of it, you'll never have total victory. And I was teaching on that and declaring this time that we strike the ground for the nations of the earth with adamant faith that now is the time for breakthrough, right? So I'm like, we're just going to shout in this room, normal shout, right? And we're going to shatter cynicism over England. We're going to shatter unbelief over this nation, right? And so people are like, all right, let's go, you know? And so it's a normal one, two, three, you know, shout, everyone shouts. And a shout has like kind of a, a life. It's kind of a living organism, and shout usually has like, you know, it's pinnacle, and then it starts to die down. And if there is, and often there is, there's like an overzealous guy in the front row. And he has extra abilities, superpowers. And he starts to wind that thing up again. And if enough people buy into the, that guy in the front row, then the, the shout has a second life, right? And it goes back up again, and then it dies down again. So this shout starts, it's wild, it's breaking out, and then it starts to die down. And then it just goes into like supernova. And it goes, and it goes. And it goes, and there's no band, there's no music, and then I get off the stage out of the fear of God, and there's nobody there, and it's going, and it's going, and it's going, and it just keeps going. And finally, it just naturally ends, and the sound guy comes up to me, he goes, I recorded that. He goes, it was 11 minutes without waning where the room was roaring for a breakthrough of cynicism over England. And I was like, oh, my Lord, I've never even heard of that, right? No E minor chord, no ambiance, no lights, no fog machine. Like just a raw, raw shout, right? So I have a, a young British person come up to me, and they go, hey, as soon as we started shouting, he goes, I hated it. I, I, I said to myself, this is so American. That's what he said. <laughs> He goes, then, then it kept going. He goes, like, two minutes in, I was like, Ugh. He goes, three minutes in, I was like, dang it. Four minutes in, I was like, I hate my unbelief. He goes, five minutes in, I started shouting with everything in me. And God delivered me of my unbelief and my cynicism. I go, bro, you got to share that. He gets up at the end. He, at the next one we gather, he shares. He goes, I want all the Brits on their chairs. And everybody from England stands on their chairs. And they roar a second time over their nation. We hit the streets and saw over 300 salvations on the streets of England. <laughs> miracle after miracle. One of my favorite stories. And all I'm talking about is the ripeness of the harvest here. Is one of our guys. He now leads our long-term team in India. He, uh, he walked out on the street, and he's got to know these things are simple. It's not rocket science. He walks up to a lady on a bench and goes, hey, do you know how much Jesus loves you? And she goes, I don't believe in Jesus. Same deal. She goes, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in Jesus. She's real smug about it. And he's like, well, he goes, do you have any pain in your body? Same deal. He goes, because I believe Jesus could heal you, and then you'd have to believe he's real. And she's real smug. She goes, nope, no pain in my body. And he's like, all right. And this guy's he's determined. He's wild. He goes, okay, here's the deal. I don't even know how I thought of this. He goes, why don't you come with me? He goes, I'm going to stop people, and we're going to pray for them. And if they're not healed, then my God's not real. But if they are, then you need to think, rethink everything you believe. And she's so, like, she's adamant. She's like, all right, I'm in. And so they go, and you know God orchestrates these deals. They stop. The first five people they stop all have immediate pain in their body. In other words, you'd be able to tell if they got healed, not just I think or I'll have to test it in a month, you know. But they have immediate pain. He asks her to pray for them. I don't even have theology for this. 
all five of them are immediately healed of their pain, all five. And after the fifth one, she turns to him and she's like, I have no arguments left. And she gives her life to Jesus on the spot. <laughs> Signs of the ripeness of the harvest. Signs. So this rumbles on for a number of months, a number of years. The circuit rider movement begins to go to university campuses and begin to contend for awakening and calling young people to share the gospel again, to live out loud for Jesus, to be passionate for him, to consider the nations of the earth. And all this while, we're journeying with Lou Engel. We're journeying with a number of people in the body of Christ. This became this fun, amazing thing that God was galvanizing the youth of America around confidence in the gospel again. And then we went to Fiji and South Africa and Australia and New Zealand and all these places. The same simple message. God's on the move. The harvest is ripe. The gospel's the solution. And, and we can walk this out right now. You're the answer. Don't wait for another guy with a microphone or a big name person. You're the answer. The gospel's the power. Let's roll. It was really that simple. Along that journey, we began to dream, and the Lord spoke to us around the same time back in 2010-11, where we went into Lou Engel's living room. We were just getting to know him around the circuit rider with a word. And the word was this, that the call was going to become the send. The name of his movement, the stadium gathering, was, was the call. But that there was a day coming where the call would go out, so much so that it would now become about the send, and it would become about a global missions movement like we had never seen before. And it had to do with the mantle, the passion, the zeal of Billy Graham falling on an entire generation. And that stadiums would be filled like they were at the call, but not just with prayer and fasting, but with miracles, gospel proclamation, and ascending movement. A wave of new workers would go into the streets and their neighbors as well as the nations of the earth from these sending events. That was 2010. 11. 2011. So we're now journeying with Lou. We're on that circuit rider journey. It's wild. We can't believe the fruit that we're seeing. And in the midst of it, 2015, Lou comes to us again. We go, hey, we've got this word. It's four years deep. We've not done it yet. He's still doing call events. And he goes, I think this is the time. You're going to love this moment. Hang with me on this. Is Lou sitting there in his chair, and he goes, the call is not gathering like it used to. He goes, we don't have any money like we used to. He goes, I don't have money to pay for another stadium, but I feel the word of the Lord over it's time for the call to become the send. It's time for us to call a generation to the nations. It's time, time to us to call a generation to find their evangelistic love for the lost again. And so we're sitting there, and he goes, but I don't know how to pay for it, and I don't know how to gather anymore. The people aren't coming. He goes, so the Lord spoke to me out of the parable that when a man finds a treasure buried in a field, he sells everything he owns to buy that field because there's a treasure in it. He says, so I have one possession in life. It's a home. Someone gave it to me. It's a million dollars. It's the only thing I own, and it is my children's only inheritance. And he has seven children. And he said, so I felt the Lord said, if I believe in this movement, then I would be willing to sell everything to buy the treasure buried in the field. And the Lord spoke to me to rent the L.A. Coliseum as the field that the treasure is buried in. And then if I would sell everything that we could believe something historic would happen in that field. So he said, I called all my kids and I said, kids, this is your only inheritance. It's this house. It's a million dollar house. But I feel like I'm supposed to sell the house to rent the stadium for one day, believing it could be a tipping point in a nation and for the nations of the earth. And all his kids say the same thing. They say, dad, you've given us an inheritance more than houses could ever give us. Sell the house and rent the field. And we begin to go on a journey. Come on, guys. This is, this is why this is stuff you read about in history, men like Lou. And so we begin to go on a journey, and I won't go into the whole story of it, but in 2016 in April, we hold an event called Azusa Now in the L.A. Coliseum. Were any of you there? Raise your hand if you were at Azusa Now. 
Okay. Raise your hand if you watched it maybe on the live stream, any of you. Okay. And raise your hand if you've heard of it. Have you heard of Azusa now? All right. So we held this gathering in, in 2016, April, L.A. Coliseum. The first half of the day was this epic set, uh, call. It was everything, Lou, all the words he'd been carrying, reconciliation, repentance, prayer, fasting. It was awesome. It was beautiful. It was unity of streams, unity of ethnicities, unity of denominations. It was awesome. And then the day shifted, and halfway through the day was where Lou came out, begins to share the story of the call becoming the send, and declares that now's the time. He talks about the living room. and says, in the living room, we prophesied then that these stadiums would be filled with miracles, signs, wonders, that the passion of Billy Graham would fall on a whole generation, and that it would result in a massive sending movement. Now, miracle of miracle, this word is walking, being walked out right in front of us, is that somehow, and I won't go into the whole story, Billy Graham hears about this gathering. And it's full-blown charismatic. And, and so these are two different worlds often, the evangelical world and the charismatic gathering. But his, his grandson-in-law came to it by accident. And he finds me and goes, you guys love my granddaddy Billy? That's what he called him, granddaddy Billy. And I go, oh, we love him. And we want to see a whole generation. He goes, he has to hear about it. He goes, I'm going to text the man who spends an hour a day with me. He's only awake an hour a day, 2016. And I'm going to text him and tell him he has to tell him about what's happening in Azusa, in the Coliseum. So he does. The next day, the guy tells him about what's happening, and Billy gives a message for the stadium. And the next day, I wake up to a text message via Billy Graham, via his assistant, for the stadium that we would walk in the same evangelistic fervor that he walked in. And so we get to that day. The stadium's packed out, 70,000 people. And we have the opportunity for the first time probably in decades to call an entire stadium to set their eyes on the nations of the earth, the Great Commission and the Great Harvest. And I'll never forget the moment where we all let it together. I won't go into all the details. Lauren's there and lots of missional leaders. It was amazing. But we gave an opportunity to the stadium. We said, if you're willing to go anywhere in the world for the sake of the gospel, from your neighbor all the way to the nations, anywhere for the sake of the gospel, then take your shoes off and hold them over your head as a sign that my feet are the Lord's and I would go anywhere, as a declaration. And I looked out as tens of thousands of people took their shoes off and held them over their heads in the air. Tens of thousands. And then we said, we're going to roar, and this is the roar, that right now there are th over 3 billion people on the earth still considered unreached, maybe never even heard the name of Jesus. There are many others that have heard of his name but have not known of his love. And there's a silence over their lives. The church has been, we have been too silent. It's time to break the silence. And we gave an invitation for that stadium with shoes over their heads to lift their voices and roar that we were shattering the silence over the lost. And that the Muslim world was going to hear about the love of Jesus. And the Himalayas were going to hear about the love of Jesus. And North Africa was going to be penetrated by the love of Jesus. And our inner cities were going to be touched by the love of Jesus. And that stadium roared. From that day forward, we began to see a trickle, a new trickle of young people beginning to go into the nations. Our very next school, I was sharing this story, and someone interrupted me, raised their hand, and they were like, hey, I was at that stadium, and this was like five months later, and they go, that's why I'm here in DTS. I raised my shoes, and I came. And the room went nuts because it was fire and fragrance, so you guys always go nuts. And then the second person raised their hand, and they go, I was there. And that's why I'm here. And they didn't even know each other. Another person raised their hand and go, I was there too. And that's why I came to DTS. They're flipping out. I'm, people are going into pandemonium. Fourth person raised their hand and goes, I watched the live stream with my mom. We were in our living room and we took our shoes off and held them over our heads in our living room. And she goes, I'm in DTS and my mom's in crossroads right now because we're going to the nations. 
And everywhere I began to go, even since then, we're what, two and a half, three years later, is everywhere I go, I'll be in Turkey and someone I don't know will walk up to me and be like, bro, you don't know me, but I live in Turkey now because I took my shoes off and put them above my head in Azusa and now. I'll go to the Himalayas and I was there with a group, a missions team. They didn't know each other. They're all from a big church and they got there and they're getting to know each other and they realize there's 15. All 15 were independently at Azusa now and signed up to go to Nepal because of Azusa now because they put their shoes above their head and said, God, I got to go. Now is the time. The harvest is ripe. Let's roll. This began like a true tipping point, I believe, for our nation that I think we're in right now. It was after that, about a year, it was earlier this year, actually in April, where Lou, Todd White, a man named Daniel Kalenda, who is a Reinhard Bonnke, sea fan, they've seen 80 million salvations in Africa. Daniel Kalenda is now the leader of that organization. A man named Michael Koulianos, who leads a ministry in Orlando. Uh, myself, Brian Brent, and Lou, we schedule a meeting in February of this year to say, what's next after Azusa now? Is it really time to launch the sand? Is now the time? Knowing full well what that meant, knowing the work that it would create, knowing what it would require of us. So we met in February in Orlando because the Lord had spoken to us about Orlando, that something would begin there. And as we met there, we never could have known that two days before we met, Billy Graham would pass away. And to us, it would become the final confirmation that now it was time for a whole generation to pick up that sense of responsibility and go, what he did in stadiums, we will do in neighborhoods and valleys and mountaintops all over the world. What he did as one man, we will do as an army. And we met in February. We took communion together, and we said, now is the time to begin to launch the send. And we set a calendar date. So a year from the passing of Billy Graham, let's gather America and the nations of the earth and believe for a breakthrough that would lead to the greatest missions movement in human history. We've been praying since early uh, 2010-11 for 200,000 new missionaries would be launched into the nations of the earth. We've been contending for the greatest missions army in history. In the midst of that, I don't have time to go into all of it, God knits us with a movement in Brazil called Dunamis. And this movement is rocking Brazil. I've never seen anything like it. Teo Hayashi has become a dear friend over the years. And they link together with us believing that the Brazil Brazilians are a catalytic spark to what God wants to do in Orlando, which is not just about America, it's about a global missions movement to the nations of the earth. And we began to rumble together this collaboration, this friendship of leaders to go, we're throwing everything in to believe that now is the time for the greatest sending movement in all of human history because we are on the precipice of the greatest harvest in all of human history. And we began to labor over the last months leading up to literally like next month to this send gathering in Orlando and watch as God begins to knit the body of Christ together. Begin to watch as leaders come together and go, we're in, we're in, we're in, we're throwing in, we're bringing our students, we're coming, we're believing for a tipping point, we're believing for a breakthrough. And on that day, February 23rd, coming up, our whole entire fall DTS will all land there. Bethel is sending like 400 students. There are 1,500 missionaries arriving for five days of outreach across Orlando City. And then we have this stadium that holds 60,000 people rented for February 23rd. It's a year and a couple days from the passing of Billy Graham to believe that we are on the midst of a Jesus movement that will touch the nations of the earth and that we are on the verge of the greatest missions mobilization in human history. And we have the privilege of calling all those that gather to adopt the lost like never before. Every high school, it's an adoptive movement. 
that we may not have caused the brokenness, but we'll take responsibility for it, right? We talked about it. The high schools, the universities, our neighborhoods, the nations of the earth, and we have the privilege of launching a massive initiative to put a million children in permanent homes in a 1,000 days. And there's all this stuff that's going to break out, and all these leaders jumping in going, I'm in. We're so blessed. Hillsongs and, you know, Hillsong and Bethel and Jesus Culture and Tasha Cobbs and all these leaders from different, you know, streams of the body of Christ and different, uh, you know, backgrounds, diversity, men, women, ethnicities, denominations standing together for a breakthrough in the nation and the nations of the earth. And that is upon us. That's here. That's here right now. And if you're getting waking up at 3 in the morning to pray for me, that's why. Because this thing is so over our heads, it's awesome. It is so beyond human capability what we are all contending for. And it is for such a time as this that God brought you here right now. I want to show you a quick video. These, these videos are fun. And, uh, and then we're going to talk briefly about One Nation One Day. And then we're going to pray like wild as we end our mornings together this morning. So can you help me out, Matt? I'm going to show you a video about the sand. It's going to tell a little bit of that story that I told, but probably in a much more succinct way. So guys, we're going to contend for this breakthrough together. This is our battle that we get to fight together. And you guys are forerunners in this. You're already here. You already said yes. You're already willing to go anywhere in the world for the gospel. You already raised your shoes wherever you were and said, God, I'm in, whatever it looks like. And that's even happening this first week in our hearts as God's even going deeper but it's, 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 it's global. It's so big. We have never been in the season that we're in right now. Lauren, uh, about six years ago, had a word in the Ohana Accord. I just want you to know these words. It's just, it feeds our prayer lives, helps us have context for our lives. As he shared in 2013, he's talking about his own life and how God had taken him to Korea in the 60s. He had declared that they would be prosperous economically and they would send missionaries all over the world because God told him that. And they laughed at him, and they said, we can't even get passports, and we're all in poverty. And, of course, decades later, Korea is the sixth largest economy on the earth and the second largest mission-sending nation in the whole world. And then he went on to say how the Lord told him that the communism was going to fall, and he was speaking in this huge conference in Europe, and he goes, God, I don't want to say that, and that the wall was going to fall. And he said, but I have to be obedient, and he did, and he was heavily ridiculed and mocked, saying, how can you say that, until not too many months later, the wall fell and uh, communism began to collapse. And then he went on to say, what I'm about to tell you, I feel stronger than any of those words God gave me. And I was like, dang, where is this about to go? And he said, in the next seven years, we will see more salvations than in all of human history added together. That if you were to take 2,000 years of human history and add the number of people saved, we will see more in the next seven years than that total number. And he began to declare that everywhere that he went, that then it was massively important, and it's probably what he'll talk about tonight, that if a wave of salvation was coming, that if that salvation doesn't land on the pages of Scripture, it will never lead to reformation and actual transformation. And so his life mission, he's 83, still traveling all over the world, probably flying 200,000 miles a year, is that there would be a Bible in every home on earth. Why? Because the greatest harvest in human history is coming. And when those people get saved, that they would land on the pages of Scripture is the transformation of their lives, their families, their societies and their nations. And so these words began to bubble up in our hearts. It was Reinhard Bonnke, the man I told you about in German, or a German man, who years ago, about 35-ish years ago, it was in Africa as a missionary, and the Lord said, I want to wash this continent in the blood of my son. And he was, he was handing out tracts, barely seeing any fruit or salvations. 
And he's like, all right, what do I do? And the Lord begins to speak to him, and he starts to hold gatherings. Well, 30, 35 years later, they have personally recorded on cards with names and information 80 million salvations in Africa. And literally, the Lord has washed the continent in his blood, so much so that by the year 2033, one in every six humans on earth will be an African Christian. The move of God so spreading across this beautiful, incredible continent and people. Well, it was in the same window around 2013 that the Lord spoke to Reinhardt again, and you'll know why I'm sharing this. He said, I told you once that I would cover Africa in the blood of my son, and I have shown you my power. And he goes, in that move of God, he goes, America was the offering plate, meaning that America financed what he did in Africa, which is true. His major donors and those that got behind him were American, you know, businessmen and and churches and ministries. And the Lord said, but now it's America's turn. And I am going to wash America in my blood again. And Reinhardt began to declare this over the nation, that there was a coming awakening. And now there's many in here, of course, from many different nations. And what's remarkable about this season we're heading into is we have had regional great awakenings. We've had them in, in many of them in northern Europe. We've had some great awakenings in America. You had a pockets in South Africa through Andrew Murray and those revivals. You had pockets of India and the Northeast where they experienced a regional awakening. But never in history have we had a global great awakening. And we are heading into the days of the first global great awakening in all of human history where it's not just one nation. It's not just coming. Have you ever been somewhere and they're like, the revival's coming from the north? And then you go somewhere else and they're like, the revival's coming from the south. And then you go somewhere else and they're like, the revival's coming from the women. And then you go somewhere else and they're like, the revival's coming from the children. You know what the point is? Revival's coming from everywhere. And it is real. It's going to break out and literally touch every single nation on earth. Do you know that you're the first generation in human history to wake up with a radical remnant of believers in every geopolitical nation in the world? You are the first generation in history to wake up in the morning in all, every nation on earth for the first time in history. Not every people group, but every nation on earth has sold out believers for the first time in human history. Never. You're the first generation poising us for a massive global great awakening. It's fun being with Lauren because he's literally been to every nation on earth. Every single nation in the world he's been to. One of the few. And you, you'll hear people use, you know, motivational sentences to say, you know, to motivate missions. And they'll be like, there's no known believers in the Maldives. And Lauren will be like, I was in the living room of 20 believers myself. And they're on fire. And then they're like, there are no known believers in Libya. And he's like, I snuck into Libya in the trunk of a car and led 10 to Jesus myself. They're doing just fine. <laughs> and, and you realize, like, literally there's not a nation on the planet that didn't have this morning Christians waking up in it. For the first time in human history, this is where we are. And this is the time that you have come in. This is the time that you are alive in and that you are the leaders in this coming move of God. You are the generation that will lead us into what God's about to do. That's what's upon us. In addition to that, we have more, as I should say, as a part of that, there is more international, you know, we're in America right now, whatever nation you're from, there is more breakthrough in occurring in historically difficult nations than we've ever seen in history. Like I said yesterday, today, the fastest growing church in the world is considered to be in Iran, 
where many would wonder whether there are any Christians, it's actually growing faster than any other nation in the world, percentage-wise. And there are many places like that in the world where historically there's been slow or no growth are exploding with new church plants and new believers. In the midst of that, it was about 2014. I know I'm getting lots of dates, and you may not care about any of them. And that's okay. In 2014, I heard about this thing called One Nation, One Day in Guatemala, Honduras, Honduras. And I was like, what in the world? I saw a video. I was like, I have never heard of this in my life. The president of Honduras had had given them, you know, access to every public school in the nation. He had declared a national holiday so that the entire nation had the day off the, the, on, on a certain day, and the, sta- the cell phone companies of the whole nation sent a text to every person in the nation inviting them into a stadium to hear the gospel on the national holiday called One Nation, One Day. And I was like, I've never, yeah, no, I've never heard anything like this in my life. And there was this video talking about it, and I'm like, what in the world, where literally the whole nation was going to hear the gospel in one day? And they had rented a 747 to take missions teams down to Honduras, and they had taken something like seven trips with a, with a rented 747 full of missionaries for a five-day outreach to literally go into every single school in the nation, every single district in the nation with the gospel, and literally the whole nation was to hear the gospel, and I'm like, what is this? Who's doing this? And you couldn't find out. There was no name. There was no ministry. It was just called One Nation, One Day. So I went on a, I like began to stalk this thing. I'm like, who the heck is behind this? And I'm, try, I'm asking everyone I know. I finally find out that there's this young guy, Hispanic leader, named Dominic Russo, that I've never heard of before, who's somehow behind this deal, who's at the time, you know, however many years ago that was, is like, I don't know, 31 years old, 30 years old. And I'm like, who is this guy? And what in the world is he doing? And then the video came out, because I couldn't go, of what had happened. And it literally had transformed the nation. The crime rate had dropped for the first day in its history. There were no teacher strikes. They gave them a whole new curriculum for their education. It was like everything, the drug rate, everything changed. And I watched this thing and went, we are heading into a new era where our thinking of missions isn't just me getting on a boat, disappearing somewhere, and like, you know, doing whatever I could, just maybe just church planting, though that's awesome. But we were in a new era of innovation, a new era of creativity, a new era of new ideas and projects and ways to see justice and mercy released, to see the afflicted set free. We were in a new era of thinking about national transformation. What's remarkable is this is the way you think. This has been prepared for this generation. We are in a major mission shift. You look back at the student volunteer missions movement. I'm using terms you're not familiar with. 1800s, it was the large, last major missions movement in history was the the student volunteer movement. They say 100,000 people went to the mission field. And in that, they all laid down their educations. They were Harvard grads, and they were Princeton grads, and they were, you know, Cambridge grads. And they laid down their education, and they went and died in the mission fields of the earth. And they're, they're responsible for the harvest we're in right now. They're the ones that got the breakthrough for what we have seen in the last hundred years. But they laid aside their educations. In this next movement, our educations will become the tool to breakthrough. And our passions and our skills and our gifts. And we watched something emerge in our community we thought was so foolish. It was a whole bunch of guys hanging out in a garage watching ridiculous YouTube videos of workouts and then trying to mimic them and hurting ourselves. And they called it CrossFit. And we were like, this is crazy. And we loved it. And we just, I mean, we didn't, we didn't know how to stretch. We didn't do anything right. We were just hurt all the time. 
but we loved it, and a bunch of dudes, and we, we went to Bhutan, and Blake, you know, we were doing little pull-up deals in Bhutan, and all these Bhutanese were like, I want to learn how to do a pull-up, and we literally looked at each other and went, what if this became a tool to reaching unreached nations, and RTC was born, and God used a passion of some that he's put in the heart of some in a generation that isn't something to be laid down, it becomes a key, a tool, a weapon, so that today, in places that can't even be mentioned publicly, we've had the privilege of sending trainers who are on fire for God that no church planter could ever go, but CrossFit coaches can. And God is putting creativity and dreams and visions in the heart of a generation for one of the most innovative hours in missions history to do whatever it takes that the whole world would hear the gospel in our generation. That the very term unreached would cease to exist by the time we die. That is our dream vision. Greatest blemish on the report card of Christianity is the word unreached, and I aim to remove it, and I know you do too. That by the time we die, what we pass on to the next generation, that that term doesn't exist any longer. Because not only does every nation have a radical group of believers, but every single tribe, tongue, and nation has the scripture, has churches, has acts of mercy, has education, has clean water, is coming out of poverty, and has been touched by the kingdom of God. That would be worth laying our lives down for. And we began to connect with Dominic, and I began to build this amazing friendship. He came out here the first time and he told us the story, and we all just laid on the floor and groaned. And I remember one of the times we did a Q&A with a group like this, and, and he finished telling the story. And I go, Dominic, like, Q, I go, how big was your team to pull this off? Because then they did Nicaragua, they did Dominican Republic. And uh, he goes, well, for uh, Guatemala, for our first one, Guatemala, Honduras, sorry, I always do that. He goes, uh, our team was about four. And we, we groaned. Like, we, we were like, what? Everyone just went, and all this wave of faith hit the room. We can do this. We can do this. This isn't rocket science. Nations are waiting for this kind of vision and innovation to hit, right? And we began to run together. And then after these three gatherings, I remember I got together with Dominic, and he said to me this to me. He goes, Andy, we have worked with fathers through all of these things. But the Lord spoke to us when we put Peru on the radar, and he said, it's time to work with brothers. And he came here and he said, would you guys work with us? And it became the first major partnership with a, at like a friendship level that they'd ever worked with. And when they came here, we said they, they were raising the biggest army probably to ever descend on one location. 5,000 missionaries would fly down to Peru for a week to saturate the entire nation, joining 5,000 Peruvian believers to form an army of 10,000 believers they would go into every school, every district, every town, and hopefully every village in the entire nation. And then on the same day to hold, I can't remember how many we were doing in Peru, 10, 12, simultaneous stadium gatherings across the entire nation, calling the entire nation back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we looked at him and said, we want in. And we want 10% of that army. And we said, we're going to try and raise up 500. And it was out of that that we began to dream about what if this January school went all over the world and saw God move in the Himalayas and in Africa and Europe and everywhere. And then descended on Peru with testimonies burning in our hearts of what God has done in the nations. And what if we rallied together in Peru? How fun. Become a family in Kona, Hawaii for three months. Go all over the world to watch God do the most ridiculous things in nations all over the planet. And then to send together for a, another family reunion in a nation together to watch a historic outreach that has never happened before. Nothing to this proportion has ever been done before. 
and then to be together as a family there, watch it occur, get inspired for what God's about to do in the next five to ten years through our lives, and then actually debrief and graduate in Peru and do something we've never done before. Could God bring us a group of students so crazy that they would sign up for something like that? Could God... Come on. Could God bring a group of students so zealous, so on fire for God, like uh, extend the outreach longer than we've ever done before, graduate in a nation none of us have ever been to before, not debrief and cone, all the normal things, throw it out, cost us a little bit more money. Could God bring a generation of people, a group so on fire, a Gideon's army, that is actually meant to multiply what we're going to experience both in the remote regions of Turkey, to the remote areas of the Himalayas, to the remoteness of Kurdistan, to the cities of Europe, but then also what we're going to see in Peru. Could it be that God is preparing this room right here, you guys, to be leaders in the most wild, innovative hour of missions history? And could it be that we have the privilege in the next 10, 20, 30 years of seeing the last remaining people groups on earth touched by the gospel? To move into a place where the kingdom of God is at a place it has never been across the earth. That we would take responsibility that our whole generation would hear the gospel in our lifetimes. Could it be? To me, when this all began to stack up, we have never done this before. It spoke to me of the leaders that are in the room. Spoke to me about who you guys are. That God would bring you to this season for what we're about to go through together. Now that may all be tremendously exciting or tremendously overwhelming. But either way, it's going to be epic. And we are going to stand in awe of what God's going to do in these months ahead of us. I want to show you one more video. It's the One Nation, One Day video, if you haven't seen it already. I might need... It's ready? Hit the space bar. All right. We got a lot to look forward to, guys. What do you think? You in? I'm so grateful you're here. This is going to be the wildest season of our lives. And I think we should just end our time together this morning just in prayer. I think we should just end it praying for an outbreak of the Spirit. The nations in Peru, that we should pray for an outbreak of the Spirit and ascend. In the midst of that, you know, you can do the dream, pray for me in it. But why don't you stand up and uh, let's just end in intercession. Let's just allow the heart of the Lord to touch us a little bit here to get gripped. I just think about all the eternal destinies that are about to be shifted. Someone said it in the very beginning when we were sharing, you know, testimonies or Q&A this morning. To imagine the hundreds of thousands that are going to be impacted by the simple obedience in this room alone. Like what's about to happen in the nations you're going to go to? What's about to happen in Peru? What's about to happen beyond because of what happens in these six months? These six months are just the beginning. They are just the beginning to the things that you're already dreaming about, the things you declared yesterday that we all celebrated and got wild on. So I just think if we could end in a couple minutes here, and we're going to go to lunch, just getting gripped in intercession for the nations, let's just do that. I'm going to teach you guys how to pray rumble if you haven't already. You don't need music for a prayer rumble. You just need a fiery heart. And it uh, doesn't matter what anybody else thinks around you. It doesn't matter, you know, what anybody thinks of how you're praying. There are no right words and wrong words. The right ones are the ones that are said in sincerity to Jesus, right? That's it. 
And we're going to start by just praying that God would move in this generation like never before in history. We're going to pray that God would move with salvation, revival movement, would touch the earth like never before. Can we do that? And we're just going to lift our voices all together out loud, pray as loud as you want to. And then at different times, just over a couple minutes, I'm going to throw out a couple more things where we'll pray and we'll hit that for 30 seconds, okay? So first thing we're going to pray for is that God would ignite the earth with spiritual awakening. The first global great awakening would touch the earth. You guys in? All right, let's go. Let's just begin to pray on that. Okay, we're going to take 30 seconds, and let's just pray for the send, that it would truly be a tipping point. Pray for 60,000 to gather in that stadium and hundreds of thousands to be marked by the live stream or the message that goes out. But let's pray that it would catalyze the greatest mission-sending movement that we have ever seen. Can we just do 30 seconds? Let's begin to pray for the send right now. Okay, let's just begin to play for Peru night right now. Just begin to declare salvation over the nation of Peru, awakening over the church of Peru, that this would truly be the most significant spiritual day in the history of the nation. Let's just pray for that for 30 seconds or so. Let's go for it.
Just put your hands on the shoulders or of people on both sides of you now. Just a family prayer moment. And uh, what what a wild, you know, first week. Everything from, you know, the revelation of being adopted by the Father to dreaming about whole nations. What a fun life we get to live. Christianity is just the best. It is just following Jesus is the greatest adventure that a human could ever walk in. And so can we just pray at the end of this four days we've had together and in the spectrum of things that he has spoken to us about, can we pray in the midst of it that God would knit us together in unity and family? Again, we just pray for each other even in this moment that God would begin to empower us to walk out what he's placed inside of us, that every hindrance would be removed, that we would fall in love with Jesus like we never have before in our lives. It's a family prayer. We're fighting for each other's breakthroughs right now. And that in this season, we would receive marching orders for the next 5, 10, 15 years of walking out the kingdom calling on our lives. So let's just begin to pray for each other. All those things, whatever stuck out to you, just begin to pray it over the people on the left and the right of you. Pray for unity. Pray for family love to be released. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Do it, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Do it, God. Pray for calling and destiny to be released. Revelation of influence and the leadership calling on each other's lives. Pray for every hindrance to fall by the wayside. Let's begin to declare breakthrough over each other into that calling. Pray right now that we would get gripped with nations, gripped with regions of the world, gripped with the cause on God's heart. Let's begin to pray for each other for that gripping in the spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Wow, Jesus, we stand in awe of you right now. So privileged to be in the tent. So honored to be here standing with such amazing people, such amazing leaders from the nations, considering and dreaming about the nations of the earth. Lord, I just pray that you would release so much faith in our hearts, more than we've ever had in any time in our lives, God, for impossible situations. And God, thank you that you're so personal that we could have faith for our families back home and we could have faith for a nation like Peru and everything in between, God. And so we just pray right now you would unleash faith in our hearts, God. Deposit a seed of faith inside of us for this hour we live in. And God, we know that life's still go normal and there's still mundane moments, Lord. But that we would carry faith in the mundane moments. We would carry faith in the details of the day. We would carry hope even as we walk through breakthroughs and sometimes difficult moments. We would still have the faith and the hope of the narrative of human history and the hour of human history that we get to live in, God. So we pray you'd galvanize this school. I pray that this first week would galvanize us. Ten years from our first school. Ten times bigger than our first school. God, I believe this is such a significant school we will look back on as a breakthrough season into the, your promises and your prophecies to see nations transformed. 
and has seen laborers launched to the nations like we've never seen before, God. Let this be the hour. Let this be the ones, God. Let this be the tent. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let it be, God. Let it be, God. Yes. Let it be. I love you guys. I know we went a little over. I'm hopping on a plane here, and I'll be back mid-next week. We'll keep rumbling. I'm here, you know, in and out of the sand, but we'll get lots of time together. But I love you guys. So honored to get this first week together and can't wait to keep rumbling together and see what God does. We're just in for the wild ride.